Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 3 of For Those About to Pod, We Salute You. On this episode, Matt and I will be discussing Supergroups, Matt's albums of 1990, Hidden Gems, and the latest news in rock today. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. But as always, let's kick the show off with my co-conspirator and co-host, Mr. Matt Rogers. Hey Matt, how are you? Brian, hello, nice to uh, nice to see you, hear from you again, you. as always. Uh, yeah, so what's been happening? What's caught my eye or my ear, um, as, we, as we like to say? So a few things actually, a few things. Um, so uh, Whitesnake are calling it a day in 2022. Ooh. Which is quite sad, really. Um, and uh, for those who saw us in, for those of us who saw them, well, who've seen them throughout the years, it's always been a great experience seeing White Snake, and they've done some fantastic albums over the years. So they've been, they've announced that they're going to call it a day in 2022. Um, I'm not sure whether whether it will be. I doubt whether it will be one of those kind of long goodbyes that will take five years, <laughs> a la the Scorp- a la the Scorpions, who uh, uh, told us in 2015 this was their farewell tour and they're still on it. Um, but no sad news. I first saw White Snake in 1981. I think they formed it about 1978. Uh, so they've had a long, you know, a long career, successful career. You like a bit of White Snake, of course, don't you, Brian? I do indeed. I must. I would. Uh, I think when we've done the when we've done the list of who's your favourite rock uh, rock lead vocalists, um, it's a bit like my favourite band changes every week. Um, mm. um, Is it White Snake this week? Then <laughs> um, what are you trying to say? I, t- t- do you know what? For the purposes of the show, let's make it White Snake this week. But no, uh, okay. yeah, D- DC. David Coverdale has always been up there with um, Robert Plant and and Paul Rogers. It would be nice, I have to say, if you if you're going to close the chapter, if you're going to ch- close the chapter on White Snake, and it's really interesting over the years um, how White Snake have the the sound has developed. You know, you can go through the '78, you know, the period that you that you were able to see them and and probably culminating in the Saints and Sinners album. Um, and then you go into the Slider In album, and then you go into hair metal um Tony Kitten period thereafter. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think that's where um there'll always be those people who will look at um Donington nineteen ninety and then there'll be those who will look at nineteen eighty three. Um but but the songs have always been great. And I, I was going to say, be nice if maybe, I know Bernie, you know, maybe get Bernie out or maybe do a set which has got a few more of the bluesier tracks. If you're going to if you're gonna close the circle, maybe just pay a little bit of homage to some of the older stuff as he's done with, you know, the, the, the Purple album that he did where he sang some of the Purple yeah. stuff. That would be nice. That yeah. would be nice. I agree. So, yeah, good night, White Snake, but not for a couple of years yet, so we can enjoy them for a while. We wish them well. Um, we do. We do. Hey, I, like you. I see what you did there. Very <laughs> clever. Um, uh, also, and I, and I don't like to talk about Diamond Head too much, but I have to mention that they've done a magnificent version of the Metallica song No Remorse, which they put out as a teaser for their new album, which is re-recording. We talked about it a few, a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
a teaser for the new Lightning to the Nation re-recorded, out, re-recorded album. Uh, no Remorse, which was on the first Metallica album, uh, Kill Em All. And it, I, I'm not, I am a bit biased, I admit <laughs> that. But I, I, I recommend everyone go onto YouTube um, or whatever medium you use to watch or listen to music. Put your headphones on. Listen, watch the video, which is absolutely amazing. Terrifying yeah. video. But I, I do have a very, very low th- sort of fear threshold. But amazing version, brilliant version. Uh, dare I say it better than the original? I, I agree. Um, I, 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 mm. I, I, do you know what? When you'd mentioned it um, um, about about the Diamond Head track, I I listened to I listened to their version first, which I thought was very well produced. I thought it was mm. really well done. Um, you can definitely tell it's a Metallica tune with the the singer's uh, vocal characterization. And then I went mm-hmm. to the Kill 'Em All version, and I went, "Oh, that production's not very good at all." <laughs> or sorry, no. what what year would that have been? Would that have been eighty three, eighty four, eighty three, eighty four yeah. was Kill 'Em All. So it's a you know it's a decent time ago. You yeah. know, things have moved on production wise, but yeah, I love it, and I love the video, and yeah. um. You know, I can't wait for the album. And then finally, um, one thing which I've both watched and listened to, um, and I can recommend again, is a song called "Distance" by um, Mammoth WVH, which is which is Wolfgang Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen's song. And the song "Distance" is was written during. Uh, the time leading up to Eddie Van Halen's death, and we spoke a lot about Eddie Van Halen a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but I recommend everyone uh, and bring some tissues because the video is amazing. It's very, very poignant. Um, it's basically home footage yeah. of Wolfgang, Wolfgang Van Halen. As I say, is Eddie Van Halen's son um, is now a performer in his own right, uh, who's been with Mark Tremonti and he's been with Van, Van Halen themselves. Yeah. But the song is excellent and the the video is 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 very you know it's very very poignant um so yeah for 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 different reasons than the other recommendations take a look at that um so that's those are that's what's caught my eye recently brian yeah yeah i have to say yeah Yeah, and i have to say i i listened to them i listened to a nice little touch that he called it mammoth as well too because that was the precursor that was the one of the original names for for Van Halen yeah, before they took the absolutely. name, but absolutely. good singer, I have to say, I was, he is a good singer, I was surprisingly good. Very well impressed with. Uh, it's, mm. it's one of those things. It's it's one of those things. Well, we've talked about this about having the, you know, that physical copy where you would pick up the CD and go, right, what did what didn't Wolfgang do? You know, does he play the? He's actually supposed to be a really good drummer. Um, so yeah, be, it'll be yeah. interesting to see has he just done everything um, on the track but no I, I agree with you it's a really 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 good track um, for me what's caught my eye in, 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 in the news over the last little while a couple of things for me um, uh, probably the first off um, and, I, and again I was, I was listening to this over the weekend was the new Iron Maiden um, live album um, which is uh, live in Mexico City uh, on the Legacy of the Beast tour. Um, mm. I gave it a, I've given it a good couple of listens, and I think what's frightening, and this this is where you you kind of go, the the years go by, and some ba- some bands' time is kind to, 
and some bands time is not kind to. And when I looked at the track listing for the new album, it's got quite a lot of live after death tracks on it. You know, it's got, mm-hmm. um, and I and I just thought, well, here we are in twenty twenty. Um, it's so it's a really good album. It's got a nice mix of new material. It's got Klansman. It's even got Klansman, yeah. and so it's good. Yeah. And then I went, when did Live After Death? When was Live After Death released? It was released thirty five years ago. I know, I know, amazing. Um, yeah, thirty five years ago. I, I yes, I agree with you. Um, I've listened to the album. It's called Knights of the Dead, and uh-huh. it was recorded on the Legacy, Legacy of the Beast tour, which I went to, and I loved it. I mean, I love I love Iron Maiden, <laughs> and I loved the, the, the show yeah. I went to. Um, yeah, do we need another Iron Maiden live album? Well, if you're an Iron Maiden fan, yes, probably. Um, they've done a lot of them. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. it was essentially a greatest hit. It was a Legacy of the Beast, so it was kind of almost a celebration of. All their eras, really. Yes. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, well, I don't know. I liked it. I, I liked, liked it, it too. I, I liked it too. Um, mm. And the, and the the other thing that caught my eye was um, earlier in November, uh, um, one of my favorite bands, um, the lead singer Tony Lewis. Uh, Tony Lewis was the front man. I'm going to call them pop rock or power pop band um, called the Outfield. Um, yeah. As we've as we've started to do, um, we're we're putting together a playlist of all of the bands and who we mentioned. So we'll put some outfield on. So um, Tony Tony passed away um, last month. He was sixty two. Um, the outfield outfield were massive in the mid mid eighties. Um, they had a single mm. called Your Love. Uh, it's it's in loads of TV things in America. Um, the album Play Deep went. Tr- triple platinum in America uh, went absolutely massive so Tony's uh, uh, Tony's um, family have just posthumously released uh, an EP uh, with uh, six tracks on it it's called More Than I Dared um, so I-, I would say people check it out um, it's, a, it's a nice room it's a nice um, Tony didn't he recorded a couple of solo things um but that, that was nice. It came out, in the pre- uh, came out um, last week. And I think what's nice as well, too, is it's been done for charity. So um, the seals from the um, from the from the single and probably the, the, the streaming as well, too, goes to music care. So um, okay. something. So that was the other thing that caught my caught my eye was, mm. uh, you know, unfortunately, the passing of Tony. Yeah, yeah, sad times. So, and he was very young. He's sixty-two. Is no yeah. age, is it? No, so, it's um, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, at all. well said, Brian. Well said. Okay, should we move on? We can friend? do. Yes, indeed. Um, so last time we spoke, you challenged. You set. You laid down the gauntlet. I did. Um, of our regular now regular feature of my year in rock, which I think I might have just made that up. It's quite quite sounds quite good, doesn't it? It does. My year, my, my year in rock. rock. <laughs> so you you challenged me with 1990, yes. which I remember well. I was still only a young boy then, of course. <laughs> How old were you, Matthew? <laughs> I was. Um, how old was I? 1990, 25. It's okay. Something like that. Anyway, let's say let's just say 20. No, I was 25. <laughs> so um, yeah, you asked me what my m- musical memories were, and particularly what albums. Um, I was listening to in yeah. 1990, and I've and I've got my top five, which I will go through briefly. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we talked, we talked last time about um, sort of 10-year cycles. And when I talk about these albums, you'll see that I think that this was indeed the start of another 10-year cycle because it's very interesting. And I thought, I thought about the albums that I'd bought actually back in the day. There are lots of albums obviously released in 1990. Yeah. Um, as there are every year, of course. But <laughs> I, um, I thought I'd, I'd and long may albums those... continue to be released. <laughs> and, well, of course, of course, and we just covered, we've just covered a couple recently, obviously. Um, so I thought about I, th- I thought about the albums that I I bought at the time, and um, I'm going to go through them in sort of reverse order in yes. time honored fashion. So at number five, which was released in 1990 was uh, Gary Moore's Still Got the Blues, um, which I think was his first... I mean, you're a, you're a bigger blues a bigger well, blues than Gary Moore fan, but you're a bigger Gary Moore fan than I am. But I... Uh, so I bought Still Got the Blues. It was one of those early... Actually, it was one of the... 1990 was, I think, first time I was buying CDs. So th- these yeah, were some of the early uh, yeah, CDs. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was buying a lot of singles then, after CD singles. Yeah, yeah. Did you buy Remember Destinization then? I didn't buy it on CD. Oh, no. Okay. Just checking. Um, So anyway, Still Got the Blues, um, which I bought at the time, which has got some great songs on it. Yeah. Obviously the title track, Still Got the Blues. Uh, Oh, Pretty Woman's on there. Walking By Myself, which is my own personal favourite song on the album. Yeah, yeah, I I remember that album very well. And um, it was quite a departure for... Uh, Gary Moore. He'd been more kind of obviously, he'd been in that band that we'd not allowed to talk about in the 70s, Skid Row. And then he got on to play in the other band that we're not allowed to talk about. Um, and then uh, he'd, he'd done a lot of kind of solid rock stuff in the 80s. Yes. And he'd worked with some, you know, a lot of people uh, in that era. In that era. Um, and he still did on that album. He worked with Don, Don Airy features a lot, who you've met. We'll maybe talk about that another day. Don, Absolutely. Don Airy. Uh, Bob Daisy's on there. Uh, Brian Downey's on there. I've met him. Um, yeah, it's good, it's a good album. Good solid blues album. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do you remember that album, Brian? I do, I do. Um, it, it, it's uh, I I remember Gary always flirted with the blue. It, it, when you look at some of the, even when he was doing um, when he did the the album before, um, still got the blues, which was after the war. Which was a, which was to me was a great rock album. You know, Cozy Powell, Cozy Powell drummed on it. Bob, yeah. Bob Daisley was on it. Even Ozzy Osbourne, um, um, sang on Lead Clones, which is a, which is you know, it's a pastiche of, um, uh, Cashmere or whatever. But it's it's tongue in cheek, oh, yeah. and it's a really good mm-hmm. rock. It's a really good rock album, and I think it just I think rock in nineteen eighty nine didn't need a Gary Moore in leather trousers. It wanted Europe, Skid Row, Vixen, Warrant. That, that's, that's, mm. so, so, um, fair play to Bob Daisley, because Bob Daisley was the one who, who kind of put it into Gary's mind, I think you should do a blues album, because Bob always thought that, um, Gary was a great blues player. Obviously, the greeny guitar that Kirk Hammett now yeah. has was with Gary yep. for many years. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, I, I think, do you know what was good about that album with Gary? Gary kept to the blues. I know Albert Collins is on the album. Um, um, I'm trying to think who who actually guested. There, there was a, who, who was the main uh, guitarist that played on Oh Pretty Woman? Um... 
it will come to me. Yeah, to me. because I can remember, I, I remember the, t- the tale that Gary told was a lot of the old blues guys, because B.B. King played on his second album on after, uh, after ours. So what Gary was doing, it was Albert King. Albert King. Yeah, it was Albert yeah, King. Yeah, Albert yes. King played on it. Yeah, and supposedly in the studio, Albert was, Albert was really, you know, came in, uh, just did did the session and Gary was like, oh my goodness, this guy's for he's the real deal. If he could have pulled out a gun and 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 just got on the plane, I've done my session, then go home. It was like uh, Albert Albert King was like not not to be messed with. So that's a do you know what for your fifth first album of nineteen ninety, a very solid start, young man. You like that? You like? I, I knew you'd like that because you're a big Gary Moore fan. Uh, secondly. Um, Manic Nirvana by Robert Plant. I was, and still am, great Led Zepp fan. Um, are they my, are they my favourite band? They're up there. And uh, Robert Plant, as we know, has had a long, illustrious um, solo career. Yeah. Pretty much since Led Zepp finished. And he's still going. You know, he reinvents himself every, you know, every three years, bless him. And um, Manic Nirvana was in that kind of um, 80s, 90s, quite rocky uh, you know, he, he hadn't really moved on to, you know, being too experimental then. No. Um, and uh, Manic Nirvana is a good, great album. Again, I bought it at the time. And it's got some good songs in it. Hurting Kinds on there. Bought a single. Um, I remember buying this. I, remember, get, I yeah. remember buying the single. Yeah. Good. Really good. Tie Dye on the Highway is on there as well. So some good, some good stuff on there. I mean, it's classic. It's classic kind of 80s, 90s plant, really. <laughs> um, you know, he moved on to Fate of Nations after that, Oof, which is when he, I think he did all that kind of sampling of old Led Zepp songs and everything. Yeah. He kind of then embraced the legacy then. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old Robert. Um, so number four on my list is uh, Manic Nirvana by Robert Plant. Yes, good show. Um, so, so far we had a bit of blues, we had a bit of a classic, you know, 70s rock. Uh, number three is Backstreet Symphony, Symphony, which is the debut album by The Mighty Thunder, of course. Um, which was re- released in 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 nineteen ninety, and I and actually thinking about it, um, so a couple of things that struck me looking back on that. So, um, 90s is a great first album, and a lot of the songs that are on that album are still in their set. Yeah. So obviously the the title track, she's so fine, love walked in, dirty love. I mean, great great songs, and um, as I say, still in their set today. The album was produced by one Andy Taylor. He was, and co-wrote from, quite a lot of the material. From, he did. He, well, he, wrote, he certainly co-wrote She's So Fine. But Andy Taylor from Duran Duran was was the producer. Um, so um, they did, and, and then on top of that, he did a really good cover of Give Me Some Love in the old Spencer Davis group song, which I can't think of kind of, I think it kind of led the way for, paved the way for, Thunder, because they've, ne- they've never really shied away from doing a cover. No. And the covers they've done have been great. Um, Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar is a brilliant cover that they did for a charity. They did a charity album. It's like a Stones tribute album, and there's a live version of Brown Sugar, and it's just fabulous. Mm. One of my favourite covers by them is, uh, we talked about Frankie Miller last time, actually, but the old Frankie Miller song, as Daddy um, uh, Bowes introduces it on the album, um, be good to yourself. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, so number f- three. So can um, I can I can I just mm. ask uh, because uh, of all of the ba- when was the first time you saw Thunder? Did you did you see them when they started out or did you? No, no, I was quite a late joiner to the Thunder. I didn't see them live till 
Well, in the 21st century, to be honest with you. Uh, I can't remember exactly when. I've seen them a few times over the years. But now I, I funny you should ask that because it leads me on to something else I was going to just mention. So uh, Thunder were one of those sort of early 90s Brit rock bands and uh, a bit like Nwobin, really. Nwobin, really. And we talked last time and earlier about, you know, 10-year cycles. Yeah. And, you know, 1990 for me was, and, and maybe slightly earlier, uh, 89, 90 was, I, I look back and when I was there at the time, thought, you know, this is great. You know, it, it was the birth of a lot of those British bands, you know, bands like Skin and Little Angels mm. and uh, Wild Hearts, uh, Choir Boys, um, Thunder Themselves, uh, The Almighty. You know, a, there was a whole gang of yeah, television. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I nailed my colours to the Little Angels uh, flag, as it were, or whatever the expression is. Yeah. So I was a big Little Angels fan. I saw them back in the day, but I didn't see Thunder. I was lucky. It's. I was lucky enough to see Thunder in 1990. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. Um, they actually supported Heart, and, okay. and and again, it's one of those things where in in good old Northern Ireland in 1990, um, we got to see. You, Iron- had, an, you had an abundance of gigs, of course, didn't <laughs> we, we, you? too many to. Yeah, to we go did. To. I, I I can remember. Uh, we had it was it it, it felt like uh, all of our Christmases came in t- at once because. In the King's Hall in Belfast, we we had um, Heart came. Uh, they mm-hmm. were promoting Brigade and Thunder were the support act, and literally oh. everybody was there. I I had I'd bought the picture disc of Backstreet Symphony, the single, so it was probably the th- second or third single out because I think She's So Fine was the She's So Fine or Dirty Love was one of the first mm. singles, and and they just came on stage and Thunder were just. It was just like it was just like bad company revisited. You know, it was just classic blues, British blues rock. Heart came out and did their set, and then the next week we had Ingwie Malmsteen came, and then later that year Iron Maiden came for the first time to Northern Ireland. So it was like we had three big concerts, and it was like oh my goodness, the the floodgates have opened. So I'm really pleased I got to see Thunder as a support band because it's you can it's one of the they're one of the few bands that I'm able to say I got to see I got to see them coming up and didn't get to see them again till we went to see them at Tyoldage and they were equally Indeed. tremendous they were amazing that was their kind of comeback wasn't it yeah um, 2010 11 I'm liking your album choices these are good well, that's that's the idea my friend you see um <laughs> hopefully other people will too so yeah um Backstreet Symphony um great album debut album and I suppose when you, you know, maybe one time we'll talk about, you know, the best debut albums, but that must be up there, I guess. I yes. know they weren't, I mean, they were Terraplane, you know, kind of before they became um, Thunder, of course. So they weren't, you know, fresh out of school kind of thing, but certainly a great, a great, um, a great debut album. And as I say, the birth in, in, in one respect of this new era yeah. of Brit Rock. Speaking of new eras, my, my second album, which again, I bought at the time, um, was or is uh, Facelift by Alice in Chains Oofed. which Oof. again um, I mean I, 30 years on I still listen to it I mean it's you know a, it's, a, it's a great album um, of that era um, and I was actually it was funny actually because I was thinking about when I first came across Alice in Chains and it was that album which is again their, their um, I think it's their debut album and um, I remember watching MTV and seeing the video for Man in the Box, mm-hmm. which, again, I recommend that. Go and find it on YouTube um, because there's a line in it about um, 
can you sew them shut, as in sew my eyes shut, which is a, I wouldn't advise it, frankly. No. Um, but they, they did enough kind of makeup and prosthetics in the video to give the impression that Lane Staley had his eyes shut, which, um, yeah. Um, but uh, or eyes sewn shut, as I said. But some great songs on that, as I say, Man in the Box itself. Um, we Die Young. And yeah, 1990, we've said it, we've talked about it before, very early grunge. Although I'm not sure you could bracket Alice in Chains as grunge. I mean, they, they went out uh, quite soon after that with uh, bands like Anthrax on the uh, Clash of the Titans tour as the opening band. Um, so it's kind of a mix of genres in one respect. But, you know, they were very heavy and, you know, the, the harmonised vocals between um, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell, I mean, you know, a thing to behold. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, number two, Facelift from Alice in Chains. So they're an eclectic mix so far, and it becomes even more eclectic when I tell you my number one uh, album, which, again, um, influenced at the time by MTV. So I was in America in 1990. George Michael. And I was, watching- was it George Michael's Listen Like Prejudice? Listen it's like- not. I'm just, that, that didn't make the top five. <laughs> Although I have to say, that it's, that's good, it's got some good songs in it. Don't, don't diss the George. I'm not dissing the George. I'm- um, no, number one is... Um, it might surprise you, actually, is um, Time's Up by Living Colour. No, we've got plenty of time left. It's only, we've only had 25 <laughs> minutes into it. Oh, uh, dear, the old ones are the best. <laughs> how, long been, how, long been, how long have you been working on that gag? Then? I haven't been working uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, Time's Up, which was the second album by um, Living Colour. So I was in America, as I, said, as I said earlier, and I was watching MTV, and they were playing uh, the single Type, which is uh, quite a hard rock song. In fact, mm. now, the album itself is a bit of a mixture of everything, really. There's, there's some really heavy stuff on there. Um, and then there's kind of funky, bluesy stuff. Uh, again, some great songs. Love Reasons, Heavy Head, Elvis is Dead, with Little Richard playing, singing on it. Uh, type itself. Um, and there's other weird and wonderful uh, contributors to that, to that album. Yeah, um, Mick Jagger's on it, doing backing vocals. Um, did they support? Did did Love and Color go out and support the they, Stones? Yeah, I seem to recall that. I think mm. I think Jagger was a Mick Jagger was a big kind of uh, advocate of Living Color. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, um, yeah, he was on that album. Um, but yeah, listen to it. Great album, great songs. Uh, I mean, I had it on cassette. That's how long ago it was. Because <laughs> um, I probably couldn't afford the CD, and I played the cassette to death. Um, you know, one of those things where you play one side, flip it over, play the next side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll give you, to use your expression, from 1990, my favourite album, Time's Up by wow. Living Colour. I, I, we were lucky enough to, and isn't it interesting, we, we, they played Rambling Man last year and they were, mm. they were brilliant. And I got they to were, see yeah. them again at Steelhouse. And uh, we we seem to see Bernie seems to come up everywhere because I think Bernie Bernie Marsden actually got up and guested with them on uh, at uh, the Steelhouse Festival. Um, Okay, but no, I I live in color. Live in color were live in color were were a bit edgy for me in nineteen ninety. I I was probably Mm. you know there there was the political edge to them, um, and it was a little bit too. I didn't get Corey Glover's vocals till I listened to Love 
rears up its ugly head. You know, I, I yeah. that's when I got interested in them. But they always, I never wanted to, they always seem to be packaged up. You mentioned about Alison Chains earlier on about, you know, I think Pantera and, and, the, and the Thrash guys, Alison Chains used to support them. And I'm almost mm. certain that like Live in Colour, uh, Love and Colour were on Atlantic Records, I think, um, and they would go out with the likes of Anthrax, and That's right. and and I think they went out with King King's X went out with them as well too. So they were always kind of um, you could never pigeonhole Love and Colour, which I think is what really intre- is interesting about them because they can come back, and their material's always been interesting. And musically, seeing them live, they're four, they really are good. So. Uh, Tip top. Amazing. Tip top for yeah. 1990. Well, thank you. Tops thank anything you. I and had down for me. Well, I just before we get just before we get your ideas in 1990. Yeah. Um I we almost made it through an entire podcast without mentioning King's X. But you had to go there, <laughs> didn't you? So um But you know, fair enough. Uh there is a link with them, of course, as we know. Um yeah, 1990, it was a great year. Our um, our man Sir Vivian Campbell of course, yes. Uh, who we always like to talk Oof. about, Sir Vivian, was with a band called the River Dogs. I, love I didn't, the didn't River know Dogs. that. Um, but one of the many bands that, as we know, Vivian's been associated with over the years, and River Dogs. Do you know much about River Dogs, Brian? I, I do. In fact, the River Dogs. You surprised Ma- me. And, and the you know- in the River Dogs, the River Dogs debut album would have made my top five. Would have made oh, really? it. Would have made my top five. Um, okay. There's um, Vivian. Vivian actually wasn't. Vivian was going to produce the River Dogs. Um, Sir, Sir Vivian. Sir Vivian. Sir Vivian. Um, he was just actually going to. Rec- he was just going to record the band, and uh, and produce the album. And I think basically what happened was they all headed off. Uh, uh, all headed off in the studio. Um, the whether the other guitarist left or he was asked to leave, I've no idea. But v- Vivian joined the joined the band in 1990, and it's a great album. There's tracks on it like Rain, Rain, Spooky. It's just and the singer Rob Rob Lamont, um, really really good. Cl- it's it sounds like an Amer- like an American four piece. You, you could okay live. They would do songs like Toy Soldier. They would do the Humble Pie. They would go back to you know Vivian likes his you know his classic you know his classic mm-hmm. rock and stuff. So River Dogs is a great album, and around that time, you know Vivian had just you know he obviously left White Snake, and he would go on to do Shadow King, which is another project with Lou Graham, and then finally Leopards. Yep, yep. But River Dogs again, a great album. But it's one of those albums in nineteen ninety where. You come back to it. They released an, their next album was two thousand and eleven. River Dogs, you know what I mean. There was, it mm. just didn't happen for them at the time. But the songs are great. Okay. Well, go. thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did, we always like to mention, you know, <laughs> our favourite um, underused guitarist. So we thought we'd mention him in the context exactly. of nineteen ninety, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah oh, other things happened that year. We lost Stevie Stevie Ray Vaughan in nineteen ninety. Sadly. Um, yes. in a helicopter crash, which, um, wow, I think 30 years ago. I mean, what legacy he left, the amazing Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, I was going to see him. I had tickets. I, I walked past, I remember walking past um, a venue in Newcastle upon Tyne, and they had, mm-hmm. and, and he was supposed to be touring later 
that year and there was posters up, etc. And I was going, I'll go and get tickets and go see Stevie Ray. And it mm. never happened. It was It's one of the, probably one of those few artists where you kind of go, I never had a chance to see him previously. I would have loved to have seen Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Sad yeah, times. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, that was 1990 um, yeah. for me, Brian. Yeah. Anything you would like to mention, add? Yeah, the only thing I was going to, the only thing I would add, um, it, was, it was a very eclectic year, um, mm, 1990. Well, as you can see from my selections. From your selection, because whenever I picked my top five, I didn't pick any of of, of the five. And I'm, and, I'm, oh, really? I'm, yep. I, and I'm just, I'm not even going to, I'm, I'm not, we'll not go into them in terms of the detail of them, but here were my top five in no particular mm. order. Um, I had, um, I'll keep my favourite to the end. Um, Black Crows, I had. I thought the Black... I'm thinking about the albums in 1990, which I went out and bought and went, I really like that. Black Crows, yeah, Shake Your yeah. Money Maker. They were the new mm-hmm. stones. Um, I really liked <clears throat> um, Extreme Porno Graffiti. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, More Than Words was all over the charts, but some of them, you know, Decadent Dance, uh, some of the material that was on that. Um, uh, Steve Vai... Actually, I really liked Steve Vai's solo album, Passion and Warfare, which came out in 1990. Um, Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, There was another band who will remain nameless who released their third album called Faith, Hope, Love in 1990, but we'll move on. Okay. Should we mention them? No, no. Just because it gets it gets too cryptic otherwise. <laughs> with, when, it, when we talk about King's X. Okay, exactly. The band is King's X. It's, they're going to become Voldemort. They're, they're going to be the, the, the band we can't name. Um, but I love King's X. Uh, so King's yeah. X brought out their third album, which actually was their biggest selling album, and then uh, uh, sales dropped then. But my favourite album of 1990, and I think Metallica have a lot to thank this band and the orchestrator, is it's Queensryche's Empire. And mm. for me, a lot of people talk about Operation Mindcrime as, as a the pinnacle of um, yeah. of Queensryche's yeah. career. But if you listen to Empire, the album by Queensryche, and, you know, Best I Can, Empire, the song, and to me, the single, Silent Lucidity, mm. which for the album itself is worth it, and it was orchestrated by Michael Kamen. So right. all, of the, yep. all of the strings and all of the stuff that was on Silent Lucidity. There's a couple of different mixes. I think you could go on to, you know, your your favorite channel of listening to music or buy it. And there's a few mixes where it's really orchestrated. And it's and it, and I, I listen to that and I go, I wonder I wonder if the Metallica guys when they were listen when they were listening to Queensryche, because remember Queensryche did the likes of the Monsters of Rock. They were on mm-hmm. the Monsters of Rock in America, so you had Van Halen, Metallica, and Silent Lucidity, and I just thought, I just thought the orchestration, and then you go into the Black Album, and Michael Kamen did all of the orchestration for the Unforgiven, um, Nothing Else Matters, and then obviously did yep. the S and M stuff. So my mm. album in nineteen ninety, Matt, was Empire by Queensrÿche. Good choice and a great song. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Silent Lucidity. It's an absolute classic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, lovely. I like that. That's good. Yes, nineteen ninety. So I, I think I need to give you a challenge for next time, don't I? Uh, oh, <laughs> I do, well, I do. I mean, that's how these things work. It so, does. It does. What, what? Otherwise, 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 they're not a feature, are they? They just, they just kind of stop in midair. So <clears> I am going to turn the clock back a little bit for you. 
And I am going to challenge you uh, to come back to us. I say us, that's me and our 10 listeners that I mentioned last time. Uh, <laughs> with uh, your favourite albums of, of 1987. Yay! <laughs> I thought you might like that. I'll give you that one open goal for you, Brian. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, nice nice seven next time, please. Oh, King's X mm. didn't release any albums in 1987. <laughs> exactly. That's why I chose it. Um, what I would say is, um, as mm. this is now a feature, um, yes. and for those people that are listening in on the podcast, thank you for everybody who's subscribed and liked the page so far. Mm. We'd be really, Matt's gone through his top five um, albums in 1990. Let us know on social media what your favourite albums of 1990 were. Um, if there was any that uh, you shared with with Matt and I, and we can talk them up for the um, for the next show to see which ones of Matt's you thought were the best, and if mm. any of them liked maybe any of the ones that I chose. So um, we will keep this. I a see. Feature. It's competition. <laughs> Yes. It's, it's north against south. No, no, no. Uh, it's, yes. it's not, it's not, it's not. And the Facebook page, of course, is, um, as we know, for those about to pod, we salute you. Absolutely. You can find us, find us there. Um, and I'm sure all yes, of the yeah. Iron Maiden fans, all of the Iron Maiden fans who, I have a few friends who are, are following it now, they'll, they'll come back to say, why didn't you pick No Prayer for the Dying? It was released yeah, in 1990. No, it's a good point. Yeah, I know, I know, absolutely. There were tons of good things, you know, we could have chosen another five, ten things. That's, exactly. the, that's the thing when you delve into these years where you, you know, think back. So um, I did that thing that you did where I thought, no, surely that was released then. No, actually, no, it was a year before. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, regular feature, yep. uh, my year in rock and yours next time will be 1987. Looking forward to it. And okay, I cool. want, and I okay. need... Yes, all right. No prizes for knowing what number one's going to be, of course. Might not we're, be. We're, we're interesting in two to five then. Anyway, should we move on? Let's move yes, on, we can. Let's go. Where, where are we going next on our musical I, journey? Our musical journey. I, I was going to talk about um, supergroups. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Supergroups. Uh, yeah. Interesting. It, it, one of my favourite bands in the world um, are releasing a new album in February next year. It's a band called Transatlantic. So Transatlantic are, um, they are Pete Trowis from Marillion. Um, Pete Trowis from Marillion. Ronnie Stolt from the Flower Kings. Um, Neil Morse. <clears throat> Neil Morse from Spock's Beard and lots of other stuff. And obviously Mike Portnoy from formerly of Dream Theatre, Winery Dogs, etc. In fact, we could probably do what's all of Mike's supergroups that he's been in. So it just got me thinking on the release of that album, there's a supergroup. And it kind of got me thinking, wow, who? Of all of the bands that have been all over in since 1969 or whatever, mm. who are my favourite supergroups? And where has a supergroup surprised me? And where has a supergroup disappointed me? So I was just kind of going to go through um, some of my um, fa- favourite supergroups where I was quite surprised, and then yep. get views from yourself, Matt, in terms of if they're mm. you know in terms of what your thoughts were on supergroups. Did you see them as a supergroup and 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 see how we went there? Yeah, yeah, interesting one. I um I have to say I'm in this, I'm in the school if you don't mind me saying because yep. I wanted this this. Um, 
Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the term supergroups. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where bands get labelled with it and it's a little bit, you know, it's become a cliche within yeah. itself. Oh, look, so-and-so's joined so-and-so and they become a supergroup. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of, I'm not, I mean, I'm a big fan of the actual bands, don't mm. get me wrong, but I do have a bit of a problem with the actual term because when is a supergroup not a supergroup? That is the question. Let's take your example from earlier. And uh-huh. you started to hum a bit of Def Leppard. Yes. And, um, you know, you could argue that Def Leppard are a bit of a supergroup because you've got um, you've got uh, the former member of Girl in Phil Collin. I'm just using this as a yes. silly example. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Vivian Campbell, X, everybody. <laughs> and then you've obviously got the core members of Def Leppard. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with it. But, yeah, there's been some good ones. Don't yes. get me wrong. Yeah. And there, are, there, has been, there has been great ones over the years and some of my favorite bands are super groups but um, yeah that's that's just my view on no, it no 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 exa- exactly and i think i think it's inter- it's interesting in the 1970s so you you come out of the 60s and you have cream who i think mm-hmm. um a lot of people would say that cream are one of the first super groups um where oh, yeah. you've got you know um uh, clapton uh, Baker and Bruce all came from mm-hmm. very successful bands. Came together and created a new collect. They created a new sound in 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 what Cream was. And I think that's the interesting thing with Cream, um, as there is they were all successful in their own right. Came together and then actually did something really, you know, really, really re- unique. And I, and you can then move into some of the shorter lived supergroups. And I, actually, to your point, you take something like Blind Faith. Which was cream? Cream dissolves. Blind faith are formed out of, um, you know, uh, obviously Ginger Baker and and Clapton. Then with Steve Winwood plus Rick Gretsch, yep. and yep. it's like you, they do one gig at Hyde Park, and then it's like over. So I do think you run that fine line between when when does a supergroup become just a little project and as a little stepping stone for something, and then it all just falls falls to bits. Um, uh, and then during the seventies, I th- I had th- felt in the seventies with supergroups. You think about ELP, for example, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. To me, they were the archetypical super. They, they were kind of I'm not going to say anti Led Zeppelin because anti Led Zeppelin were. V- you could nearly say that Led Zeppelin were a supergroup in some ways with the way you could. You, you yeah, could. yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I didn't. I I felt that um, with the likes of. Keith Emerson and Greg Lake and Carl Palmer, they were at the top of their game, you know, and, and there's a pomposity to you do your first gig and you're, I think they may have headlined Isla White Festival in 1970 as their first gig. You know, it's like, oh, we're a super group, we'll do this. Um, yeah. And through the 70s, it felt super groups were for the prog guys. So you had, um, you had, you, you know, Beck Bogart. You know, Jeff Beck was with uh, with the with uh, Tim Bogart and a piece. You had the Masavishnu yep. Orchestra. You had UK. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you had all that, and so it was all to me. Prog seemed to be where supergroups were. Yeah, and then yeah. I think I think where the first supergroup that that in my I would probably say my favorite first ever supergroup was Asia. So Asia to okay. me was. It was classic rock, you know, Heat of the Moment, Soul Survivor, that album, Geffen Records, gazillion sales in America. 
And I went, mm. John Wetton, what an amazing singer. Uh, all the power chords. And I didn't know any of the members of that band. I right. didn't know I didn't know the legacy of Asia. And it's and it's kind of like, here's a super group, and I'm going, No, that's just Asia. They're just a good they're just a good band. So my yeah. my first band for um for for being a bona fide super group because of all of the parts together of being, you know, the legacy of ELP in Asia, or sorry, uh, Yes, and all of the stuff that the guys did. That was a really, really good band. Through the 80s, from a super group's perspective, oh my goodness, um, it really kicked off. Um, Blue Murder, Badlands, mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah, Big, yeah. And I would probably say, um, for me, Mr. Big is that is my number two favorite supergroup because you've got mm-hmm. Billy Sheehan, um, Eric Martin, Pat Torpe, and Paul Gilbert. Paul Gilbert, all, yep. All virtuosos. And I think they were super mm-hmm. musicians. Did I know who Paul Gilbert was before Mr. Big? I knew him from instructional videos and all that kind of stuff. But when I look at that as a band and as a supergroup, they would be they would have been the next on my list as a band where they really yeah. surprised me for the musicality and did something different because it wasn't all technical diddly 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 stuff it was really really good songwriting etc yeah absolutely um, absolutely and and so that to me is where from a from a supergroup's perspective where it worked well in the 80s um some didn't work so well matt um, no, when the, when the no. and this is this is this is where it can work and, and unfortunately the the two the two examples probably involves my favorite singer uh, or one of my favorite singers I think I said I think I said David Coverdale at the beginning of the episode mm. so Paul Rogers is one of my favorite singers and to me the firm the firm should have been should have been Chris Slade Manfred Mann Tony Franklin amazing bass player Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers it should have been. Mm. The band of the mid eighties, huge yeah. should have been huge, mm. and it wasn't. They they the albums are okay. They never played any of their Zeppelin or any of their back catalogue when they pl- when they did the t- the two tours that they did. And to me, as a as a super group, that just didn't work. And to your point, maybe the legacy of free and bad company on Rogers' shoulders. And what Jimmy was having on Zeppelin's, you know, nineteen eighty four, mm. maybe everybody just everybody wanted, you know, free Zeppelin or bad lead, but whatever. I can't think of an, an a good analogy for that. So I, lead I company, do, yeah, <laughs> lead company, <laughs> <laughs> yes, lead snake, and well, and and whatever. So to me, mm. sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And interestingly, when we move into the two thousands. It's mm. gone very quiet. I can only think of two, sorry, three supergroups in the in the last twenty years that are of any interest to me at all. Audio okay. Audio Slave. Yeah, good choice. Um, them crooked them crooked vultures. Yep. And finally, chicken food. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd throw into the mix. Um, uh, Velvet Revolver, of course, um, as a as a supergroup of the two thousands. I th- that's 
do you know what? Have, did you go and see? Do, did you ever I'm, see them? I'm going to do it. I did a couple of times actually. Yeah. What did you They're think? Okay. I uh, well, I think the thing is with with a band like that, and again, it goes back to the legacy thing. You know, you're, you're waiting for you know, Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise City and so on, and um, possibly the odd you know Stone Temple Pilots song. Uh, if you were that fa- you know fan of that yeah. leg of the, the yeah, band, as yeah, it were, yeah. and no, I was fine with them. I, you know, I, I think there's, there's, I think there has been a few. I mean, recently, I don't know whether you remember, because you're probably too drunk at the time. We <laughs> saw the son, the Sons of Apollo, who are a, a modern supergroup. It was um, early in the day. It was early, so you were drunk. Um, it was, uh, which includes <laughs> Mr. Portnoy um, and Jeff Scott Soto. And and others, yes. So there are. I think it's still still a concept um, that uh, you know bands are kind of getting together and uh, becoming you know a supergroup. Not consciously, I don't think they think you know let's let's get together and you know yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. So which has probably been the, always been the case. I think the thing with supergroups, you just touched upon it a little bit, is it's. I think it's a question of you know timing. I suppose uh-huh. depends on when they kind of, you know, from a, from a, you know, is there an opportunity for them? Uh, do they come along at the right time? Is there too much? I think, I think you hit the nail on the head actually. Is there too much of a legacy of the element of uh, the individual members of the band uh, too much pressure on them to play, as you say, the free, the bad company, the guns and roses, yeah. the Led Zepp, whatever yeah. it might be. Um, I think the, the, the example to you is, which is an exception is uh, the excellent chicken foot, and I think they didn't they didn't seem to put themselves under too much pressure. And we we've, we've seen them a couple of times, yeah. Um, and they've got a couple of albums out, uh, one and three, which I think was hilarious. You would call your second album three, um, <laughs> but it just kind of demonstrates their attitude, which is basically you know good musicianship, have a good time, yes, and let's not bother about doing too many kind of uh, red hot chili peppers or. Um, you know, Sammy Hagar or Van Halen or yeah. whatever, because as we know, that's Chad Smith, Michael Anthony, Sammy Hagar, and uh, Joe Satriani. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a it's a good talking point, Brian. You know, I mean, that as you say, they've been around for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, you could go back to as you say, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, and and so on. The Cream, right up to date with, you know, I suppose there's bands even been formed now that are technically supergroups. So, um, yeah. Very interesting, I, and I think Very interesting. And, and I think, do you know what's really interesting during the COVID, uh, during the lockdown period as well too, how um, a lot of the let's call them lockdown projects, where mm. you you know they we probably I think we may have mentioned this in other podcasts where you you've got the likes of Joel Hoekstra and Port Mike Portnoy with um, with Dino. Um, mm. the young, I think he's Cro- Croatian um, singer, and they put out a cover version of um, Jefferson Starship Airplane. Jane. Yeah, Jane. And you kind of mm. go, there, there's there's musicians getting together, and they just they can put something out, and you kind of go, well, it's not a super group, but it's nice seeing great musicians being able to play together and have that, and, and maybe... Maybe maybe that's what what technology allows great musicians to actually get together separately um, mm. to do something really productive, um, which is one of the things I like about the Frontiers the Frontiers record label is they'll get you know 
uh, you know, the likes of the Dead Daisies, you know, Glenn Hughes singing in them, or you'll have George Lynch singing with Dino doing Dirty Shirley, and you'll have all the guys out of Dokken will be with the singer out of Warrant, and they can all do this, but it's deemed as a project because I think you and I, I love chicken foot. I couldn't get enough chicken foot. And every time I seemed to open Classic Rock magazine or Planet Rock, it was Planet Rock really took chicken foot to their um, uh, to their bosom. And all, mm. all we were basically saying is, can we have a tour? We, we, we just don't want one night at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. Can we have, when can we see more? And unfortunately, the demand of the four guys in the band just don't allow you to, to see a great band like that. So, yeah, so, so there you go. So that, that's a, that, that's a, that's a that's a little run through supergroups. As I say, mm. um, I know um, we had some comments on the Facebook page. So, but really interested from um, from everybody in terms of what your views are. Um, you got my views in terms of who, what I think um, uh, constitutes a good supergroup. Um, so, head us up on social media and let us know what you think around. Uh, um, the supergroups, the concept of the phenomenon of, of those and where it lies. To Indeed. Be. Yeah, yeah. There you go, That's good. Man. Yeah, brilliant. Um, right. So we were going to talk about hidden gems, I think, um, yes. which is a new feat, another new feature. New feature. Oh, my goodness. They're coming thick and fast, these new features. <laughs> so the idea with hidden gems is um, they are songs or albums that, or even bands that we you know, I think are a little bit underrated, a little bit unloved and deserve more exposure. And, um, that I haven't mentioned already <laughs> that we haven't mentioned already. And we're not allowed to mention thin Lizzie or diamond head or, um, King's X. So I will kick off if okay. I may. Yes. Brian, um, as we're on, as we're talking about the nineties earlier with 1990, um, I had two, two ideas actually, mm. uh, for hidden gems. Um, I'm just going to give you one today, okay. but I did think I did uh, want to talk about a little bit about uh, the album "Fully Completely" by the band The Tragically Hip, um, which I think is that is not is not one that's known to you, Bryce. So, it's not. Um, I am shaking my head here virtually and going, "I know who are they Canadian?" Yeah, they are. Well, they were. They oh. were Canadian. Uh, the Tragically Hip, huge in Canada. Um, yes. I, I saw them over here in about I think it was a year. It was 1997. It was, a, it was a night that Tony Blair won the election. Um, and I would recommend an album called Fully Completely, which is an absolute cracker of an album. Um, it's got some amazing songs on it. And um, I very much recommend it uh, to everyone. If you, if you live in Canada, yeah, uh, we do have a couple of Canadian listeners. Uh, you'll probably know Chicken for... Um, um, uh, tragedy hip of course but uh, the rest of the world probably not so so um, yeah I give you um, the tragedy hip and fully completely that's my hidden gem for this week Brian. excellent oh that's I'll, do you know what I'll check those out was that, was that your one was no no, one? no you weren't going to go for that as well no I wasn't going to go for that one I, oh, I just remember that I just remember I know we talked about and I haven't watched it I think the, the lead singer passed away a couple of years ago, didn't he? Did he? He did. Gord, Gord Downey. Yeah, he sadly died of a uh, progressive brain tumor. Yeah. I... Um, yeah, sad. He was a national hero in um, in uh, Canada. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I think. I. I think on. I'm gonna say. Um, 
there's a document. I think Sky Arts actually there was a documentary about uh, about him and about the band because obviously, as you say, they're they're kind of they're, they're um, uh, well thought of. You know, they're one mm. of Canada's Canada's premier bands, and I actually do think there's a there's a nice documentary talking about the band and the unfortunate demise of the lead singer, but he was supposed to be very, very charismatic and whatever. So I will, on your recommendation, give that band uh, a bit of a listen to because you've done this well this week. I I liked your Diamond Head track. Thank you. And I will, uh, I will give a, I will give a listen to uh, the Tragically Hip. Exactly. Well, you're very welcome. And that, that documentary you're talking about is called Long Time Running. Anyone, um, uh, sees it anywhere it's as you say well worth a look okay, okay so that's my hidden gem for this week Brian that's tragically hit and fully completely excellent oh it's good I know um, it's good did, did you have any thoughts did you have, did you give any thought have you got a have you got a hidden gem tucked away anywhere I do have a hidden gem tucked away and it's from 19 okay. it's from it's going to be from 1990 as well um, okay because the tried would you say the tragically hip was a uh, were they were they a rock band or were they pop arts Indie alternative. What 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 was the sound of all, all of those? All of those. Brian, you just encapsulate them. Um, they were kind of rock, I would say. Certainly guitar driven rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, check them out. So my hidden gem is from 1990 because, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, again, it's a band who re- re- released two albums um, over their period of being together. And it's a hidden gem. It's the debut album by a band called Jellyfish. Jellyfish, uh. re- Jellyfish released their first album in 1990. It's co- um, it's called Belly Button, and um, they it's basically 70s. It's Beatles harmonies with amazing orchestration, etc. Um, short-lived band um, split up in 1994. Um, but my hidden gem would be Jellyfish, bringing it right up to date. The band themselves, um, uh, three members, th- actually, there's a there's a, a Guns N' Roses connection here. The The band themselves, um, uh, they've never, there's been lots of talk about trying to get Jellyfish back together, and it's one of those things that won't happen. However, three former members, Tim Smith, the bass player and, and guitarist, um, he's he was working with Noel Gallagher for a while and the Umbajets okay. and Roger um, Roger Manning Jr. Um, he's worked with Beck. He's actually played keyboards with Cheap Trick. Um, so Roger um, Roger Tim and Eric Dover. And I'm saying Eric Dover to you. Do you remember who Eric Dover was at all, Matt? Uh, I, I do not. No. Eric Dover was the lead singer. Um, and he was a guitar player in Jellyfish for a while, but he actually ended up being the lead singer in Slash's Snake Pit. Yes, and what a singer! And and if you watch, and it's he, exactly, and he's do you know what? Mm. He's a phenomenal guitar player as well. And some of the with, uh, sorry to not to not to talk about. We've talked about Eddie's passing, but I think one of the things which has been really interesting on YouTube is when people have posted up things about, you know, Eddie Van Halen. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie was at a party at his house, and I would just everybody, if you want to go and check out on YouTube, there is um, 
there's some video footage of Eddie doing jump and I know that Derek Sheranian from Sons of Apollo and Dream Theater is playing keyboards, but the guy singing at Eddie's backyard doing jump and a whole bunch of stuff is Eric Dover. And Eric is singing his backside off. So the three of the guys, Eric, Tim and Roger, have got back together and they're now going under the name of the Licorice Quartet and they're, they're putting out EPs of music. It's very ELO, very 70s, layered harmonies, etc. And the third um, the third EP's coming out this week. So Jellyfish would be my hidden gem um, um, alongside the Tragically Hip for... For uh, for this episode, Matt, you put Excellent. me on the spot. Great choice. Excellent. Great choices. Um, yeah, very good. Thank you, Brian. Cool. I enjoyed that. Um, Excellent. Yeah, good. And um, yeah, you've now I've now thought of another hidden gem for next time <laughs> um, when he talked about Eric Dover, of course. Slash his snake, snake pit ain't life grand album. It's a good. Well, that's, what a great. We'll talk about that another day. Oh, we will do. We will do. We'll do. So. Brian, it's been fun, as always, and um, we should do this again sometime. That would be, yeah, absolutely, we shall do this again. So um, th- thanks to everybody for um, for listening in, for subscribing, listening to the podcast. I, again, thank you for all of the comments. Um, we're starting to get comments through on the, um, on the various um, social media platforms. channels. Yep, platforms. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get the lingo right one of these days. So yeah. uh, um, check us out, subscribe on um, um, Apple Pods. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Head us up and we shall see you all next time. So until we see you again, rock on. See you, Matt. See you guys. See you guys. See you, Brian. Take care. All the best. <laughs>